Welcome to Advancing Worsening Heart Failure Treatment, Exploring Cutting-Edge Therapies and Addressing Disparities. I'm Dr. Bob Underwood, and I am joined today by my esteemed colleague, who is the director of Mount Sinai Heart and the first Dr. Valentin Fuster Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine at Icon School of Medicine in New York, Dr. Deepak Bhatt. Dr. Bot's relevant financial relationships can be found at iridiumce.com hf. This educational activity is supported by an independent educational grant from Merck, Sharp, and Dome. We would like to thank them for their support of this initiative. This learning objective for this program is summarize the novel heart failure medications and their treatment indications for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, or HEFREF, and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, which we more commonly refer to as HEFPEF. Dr. Bott, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. And so to start off, can you give us some information on the different classes of medications for heart failure? Absolutely. So there are, generally speaking, four classes of medications. Beta blockers, drugs that target angiotensin, things like ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers, RNAs, mineral corticoid receptor antagonists, or MRAs, as they're sometimes abbreviated, and sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors, SGLT2 inhibitors, as they're often referred to. The ACE inhibitors, RNA, MRA, also, along with the angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, target the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system, or ROS system. The SGLT2 inhibitors block uptake of glucose to the proximal tubules of the kidney. This leads to excretion of glucose and sodium in the urine with resultant natriuretic and diuretic effects. But it's not just that. Sometimes people think, oh, it's just the sugar and salt in the urine. Now, that's part of it, but it's also an improvement in cardioenergetics. Yeah. There's a heart failure benefit with the SGLT2 inhibitors, including reductions in the composite of cardiovascular death and hospitalization for heart failure, in some cases, even in CV death uh, alone as an endpoint, especially in sicker heart failure patients. Uh, and these benefits are seen both in patients with diabetes, the SGLT2 inhibitors were initially developed for diabetes, but also in patients with heart failure without diabetes, quite important, and also in patients you are alluding to HEF-REF and HEF-PEF in, in both those types of heart failure. So yeah. pretty remarkable and relatively still near development with the SGLT2 inhibitors as heart failure drugs, not just diabetes drugs anymore. The glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists or the GLP-1 receptor agonists, as they're often called, were originally used to treat type 2 diabetes, really good diabetes drugs, pretty good uh, glycemic control, in fact, that they provide but in the context of this conversation, they were also found to protect against cardiovascular events in person with diabetes, at least some of the drugs in the class, not every drug in the class, and also provide cardiovascular benefits in people that were overweight or obese with established cardiovascular disease, so very important. And also found to have benefit in patients with HEF-PEF that were overweight or obese in improving things like the Kansas City Cardiomyopathy Questionnaire in terms of how patients feel and BNP levels. This was shown in the step HEFPEF trial. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll dig a deeper dive into that particular class of medicine here in a little bit. Um, really some great stuff coming out. So Secubitril Valsartan is approved for patients with chronic heart failure. So can you describe the clinical trials that led to this approval, uh, noting specific differences in left ventricular ejection fraction among these trials? Yeah, absolutely. 
So Saki Mutual Valsorn is an arty. I mentioned before this class of agent. And it, right now it's actually, in terms of what's available, the only uh, drug in that class. There are clinical trials that support its use in HEFREF and uh, to an extent in HEFPEF. It does have some labeling there, but the data are stronger for HEFREF. And even in the HEFPEF patients, it's ones that have lowish uh, ejection fraction where there seems to be benefit. But at any rate, the Paradigm Heart Failure Trial examined Sacubutrol Valsartan versus enalapril in patients with left ventricular ejection fraction less than or equal to 35%. So these were folks with a history of heart failure, elevated natriuretic peptides. The trial examined cardiovascular deaths and hospitalization for heart failures. Well-designed, well-done trial. And the primary endpoint showed a significant 20% relative risk reduction pretty sizable absolute risk reduction as well in the endpoint I mentioned for sacubutrol valsartan versus enalapril. So that's pretty good in its own right, but there was also a lower rate of death in those that were randomized to sacubutrol valsartan versus enalapril. So really important results uh, overall. There was also the Pioneer heart failure trial that examined patients with an LVEF of less than or equal to 40% of comparing sacubutrol valsartan with enalapril. And this was looking at patients that had come in with worsening heart failure and fluid overload. Patients were enrolled 24 hours to 10 days after initial presentation at a hospital. The primary endpoint here wasn't so much a clinical one, it was change in NT, pro BNP, but there were exploratory endpoints to look at clinical endpoints, things like cardiovascular deaths and hospitalization for heart failure. Bottom line, the biochemical endpoint reduction in T-pro-BNP was significantly better in the sacubutrol valsartan arm. And in terms of hospitalization for heart failure, or I should say rehospitalization for heart failure, that was also lower in patients randomized to sacubutrol valsartan. And the final trial I'll mention, at least right now, is Paragon heart failure. This was in patients with an ejection fraction greater than or equal to 45%. So HEFPEF, but again, one can debate in that range whether it was truly patients with uh, slightly reduced ejection fraction or truly preserved. It was an admixture. Here it was a comparison of sacubutrol valsartan and valsartan. Again, patients with heart failure. And this was a trial that examined once more cardiovascular deaths and hospitalization for heart failure. So heart failure-related endpoints. And here, the primary endpoint was lower with sacubutrol valsartan, about 13% lower, but the p-value was right on the fence, 0.059. So strictly speaking, a trial that was not statistically significant. But the treatment effect, uh, if one is uh, willing to go beyond the p-value there, did appear to be driven by reductions in heart failure hospitalization and appeared to be in patients in the lower range of EF within that sort of low normal range that was enrolled in the trial. So I think when viewed, and if this were the only trial of sacubutrol valsartan, then I don't know that we could hang our hat on it, but coupled with the other trials I mentioned, particular paradigm heart failure, looks like if the EF is low or low-ish, there's a degree of benefit with sacubutrol valsartan. Most mark when the EF is truly low, that is half rough. Yeah, yeah. Great trials, and I think you're right, you know, looking at them in combination with one another, really supportive. So how have these clinical trials informed which patients can be treated with Secubitrol-Valsartan? Yeah, great question. So the drug is now approved. It's indicated to reduce the risk of cardiovascular death and 
heart failure hospitalizations in patients with chronic heart failure. And the benefits are more evident in patients with an EF that's below normal. So that's really where it fits in. And it's one of the four pillars now, I think, of heart failure therapies. While one can make an argument to use drugs like ACE inhibitors and ARBs, really now assuming that cost isn't prohibitive or there aren't side effect issues, if the patient can instead be on an RNA, that's probably the way to go and provides the absolute best care, along with the other pillars of heart failure therapy, that is beta blockers, SGLT2 inhibitors, neural corticoid receptor antagonists. Sure. So you've also done some work with SGLT2 inhibitors. So can you describe the three SGLT2 inhibitors available for the treatment of heart failure and the clinical trials that led to the approval of these medications? Sure. I mean, there are a lot of trials. There's been an explosion of data with the SGLT2 inhibitors. Once more, these were approved, available, great data as diabetes drugs for the most part, uh, several drugs in the class. But now, specifically, let's talk about heart failure. And three drugs that I think are most relevant are dapagliflozin, empagliflozin, and sotagliflozin. Sotagliflozin is an SGLT2 inhibitor, but it's also an SGLT1 inhibitor. So it's got a little bit of a different mode of action, but they all share the SGLT2 inhibition, and most would say they're all part of that class. But, you know, the SGLT1 uh, might add a little bit something different in terms of reduction in atherosclerotic events, but that may be a topic for another day. But as far as dapagliflozin goes, it was studied in DAPA heart failure and in DELIVER in patients essentially with HEF-REF and HEF-PEF, respectively. Dapagliflozin was compared with placebo. These are patients, again, with heart failure, class 2 to 4, elevated NT-pro-BNP, so they have real heart failure, evidence of it. The primary endpoint was once more one of these composites of heart failure-related endpoints, in this case, heart failure hospitalization, urgent visits for heart failure, cardiovascular death, and dapagliflozin significantly reduced that endpoint. In the DAPA heart failure trial of patients with an EF less than or equal to 40%, it was a hazard ratio of about 0.74, statistically significant. In the DELIVER trial with an EF greater than 40%, there are a hazard ratio of 0.82. So again, statistically significant. So a similar significant degree of risk reduction. And for that reason, dapagliflozin is indicated to reduce the risk of cardiovascular death and hospitalization due to heart failure in patients with heart failure. As far as epigliflozin goes, that was studied in EPRO-reduced and EPRO-preserved, HEF-REF and HEF-PEF, respectively. Trials of epigliflozin versus placebo, again, patients with heart association, class 2 to 4, primary endpoint, similar endpoint of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization. Once more, in both trials, they were positive. That is, an emperor reduced a significant reduction, hash ratio of about 0.7, statistically significant. In the Emperor Preserve trial, again, that's the one with the EFs greater than 40%, hazard ratio of around 0.79, once more statistically significant. And therefore, empagliflozin is indicated to reduce the risk of cardiovascular death and hospitalization due to heart failure in patients with heart failure. And then finally, sotagliflozin was studied in solist worsening heart failure, sotagliflozin versus placebo. Here, the trial was patients specifically also with diabetes and admitted with acute decompensated heart failure. We actually intended to ultimately enroll patients uh, without diabetes as well, but the trial uh, ended before we had a chance to do that. Mm. The primary outcome was the composite of total events consisting of 
cardiovascular deaths, hospitalization for heart failure, urgent heart failure visits, the primary outcome once more, significant benefit, hazard ratio of 0.67, very statistically significant. And I'll point out that in terms of numbers needed to treat, it was about four patients that needed to be treated for about a year to prevent one event. So it just shows that in a very high risk population, such as those admitted with acute decompensated heart failure and soloist, really large, not only relative risk reductions, but absolute risk reductions. And for that reason, sodagliflozin is indicated in adults with heart failure to reduce the risk of cardiovascular death, hospitalizations for heart failure, ocean heart failure visits. Importantly, the label doesn't actually just say diabetes, even though our trial actually included patients with diabetes. There's another trial of sodagliflozin where there was a reduction in heart failure, but also in MACE, atherosclerotic events. Maybe that's due to the SGLT1 mechanism. That was a SCORE trial, but that was patients with uh, chronic kidney disease. So that's the story in a nutshell for SGLT2 inhibitors in the setting of heart failure. And some just wonderful information about that particular class of medication. So let's make a transition over to aldosterone agonists. What can you tell us about some of the medications that are available and how they work? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, again, one of the four pillars of heart failure care. Spironolactone is the agent with the most evidence in terms of being around for a while and being effective, certainly in patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Lots of older data and trials support that. Uh, despite that, lots of registries show that it's underutilized in the context of HEFREF. Uh, but what about HEFPEF? There's the more recent data for spironolactone from the top K, the TopCat study or the TopCat trial, uh, spironolactone versus placebo. This was patients with an EF greater than or equal to 45% that had heart failure. The primary outcome was death from cardiovascular causes, aborted cardiac arrest, hospitalization for heart failure. And the trial, uh, strictly speaking, overall was not positive. The hazard ratio was 0.89, but the p-value wasn't significant. So that makes it a little tough to go beyond the primary endpoint. There was, I would say, a signal of benefit on components uh, of the endpoint, like hospitalization for heart failure, where it looked like it was lower. There were some post hoc analyses that were done that suggested maybe there is a benefit if you excluded certain countries where it looked like there were protocol violations and maybe the patients that got admitted didn't really have heart failure. And maybe those uh, countries and the sites in those countries were doing some funny stuff in terms of trial conduct. So if you're willing to throw out those particular countries, it looked like in the remaining countries, there was a significant benefit. So with some caveats, it looks like there's probably something there, but need more data. There's more research going on though, with respect to MRAs, monocorticoid receptor antagonists and heart failure, except the fine arts trial is investigating a non-steroidal viral corticoid receptor antagonist, spironolactone is a steroidal one. The agent being studied there is phenerolone in patients with HEFPEF. So that trial will hopefully report out sometime not too far in the uh, future, and we'll know with greater certainty whether this class of agents truly does work in HEFPEF. Thanks for that. So the last medication we'll discuss in this section is GLP-1 receptor agonists, or semaglutide. So would you describe the results of the STEP HEFPEF clinical trial for us? Sure. And I'm glad we're talking about the GLP-1 receptor agonists again. And you specifically said semaglutide. I think it's right. Sometimes doctors like to talk about classes of agents. With the SGLT2 inhibitors, they all seem pretty good with respect to heart failure reductions. 
With the GLP-1 receptor agonists, not all of them provide cardiovascular benefits, so huh. really not fair to talk about them as a class. They're all great diabetes drugs, but not necessarily all great cardiac drugs. Exactly why, that's a topic for another day. But with respect to semiglutide, it was studied in the STEP-HEFPEF study, so looking at patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, EF greater than or equal to 45%. These different trials have slightly different cut points for exactly what HEFPEF is, but here it's what I just said. And here, semiglutide was compared versus placebo. Patients had a BMI of 30 or more, so they are obese. And the primary outcome was change from baseline in the KCCQ, that's the Kansas City Cardiomyopathy Questionnaire, a way of seeing how are patients with heart failure feeling, how are they doing? So not sort of a hard endpoint like cardiovascular death or hospitalization for heart failure, but an important patient-centric endpoint. Also change in body weight was examined. Other secondary outcomes were things like six-minute walk distance and looking at some clinical endpoints as part of a composite along with some of the other endpoints that I already alluded to. And bottom line is there was a significant difference benefit with the semiglutide with respect to KCCQ, that is in terms of how patients felt. It was a change that was felt to be clinically significant, not just statistically significant. There was also a change in body weight that was significant with semiglutide. That is consistent with what was already known with the ability of this drug to cause a substantial amount of weight loss. So that is something patients obviously like. Sometimes it can help with adherence. There were also improvements in the six-minute walk distance and also in the composite of clinical and other endpoints that I alluded to. So overall, positive trial, not a, a clinical endpoint outcome trial per se, but still lots of other clinically relevant endpoints being yep. favorably influenced. And semiglutide is approved for adults with type 2 diabetes, either alone or if they also have uh, cardiovascular disease. It's also approved for chronic weight management in yeah. folks with a BMI greater than 30 or equal to 27 with other comorbidities. So a useful addition to the armamentarium, yeah. great drug for diabetes, for obesity, for folks at elevated cardiovascular risk with obesity, and also now it turns out for heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Once more with the caveat that this wasn't a classic cardiovascular outcome trial looking at hard endpoints. Right, right. But definitely some good indications for that particular medication in multiple categories. So let's move on. So 2022 American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology or ACC and the Heart Failure Society of America, HFSA, released updated guidelines. So what can you tell us are the big takeaways for the 2022 guidelines? Yeah, absolutely. It really centers upon the four pillars of care for HEFRA. So obviously, you're going to use diuretics, even though in, in general, they're not been shown to reduce things like mortality, uh, although it sort of depends what you call a diuretic. But the four pillars beyond just decongesting patients are RNAs, ACE inhibitors, or angiotensin receptor blockers should use one of those. And as I said, with a preference towards RNAs, assuming that cost or side effects are an issue, beta blockers are another pillar. The mineral corticoid receptor antagonists are yet another pillar, and they do have a diuretic effect, obviously. That's why when I was alluding to diuretics, I really meant things like the loop diuretics haven't been shown to influence hard endpoints that are used just for decongestion. The MRAs are a bit special that way. The SGLT2 inhibitors are the latest addition to the four pillars of care. So those are the four pillars of care, very strong evidence-based, guideline endorsement, and so forth. 
you know, in clinical practice beyond that, if patients are all four pillars of care, optimally dosed to the extent they can tolerate without side effects and so forth, still having problems with symptomatic heart failure, readmissions for heart failure, then agents such as Orosiguat are potential additions to the armamentarium for patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Now, with patients with heart failure more in that mid-range of ejection fraction, not quite HEFPEF, not quite HEFREF, there as well, SGLT2 inhibitors would be recommended. And there is likely a role for RNAs, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, mineral corticoid receptor antagonists, especially if they're at that lower range of what we're saying is mid-range. So again, if they're closer to abnormal, there does seem to be benefit. The same seems to be true of beta blockers as well. And in HEFPEF, the evidence is really strongest for SGLT2 inhibitors. One can consider RNAs and MRAs. As I said, there are some caveats to the data where with respect to RNA, as I alluded to, the trial was clearly statistically significant, but there were a lot of signals of positivity. And with respect to MRAs, again, top cats, strictly speaking, not statistically significant, but if you're willing to go on this post hoc analysis, it looked like there might be something there as well for a drug that's generic and relatively cheap. So this is really, I think, the key things to remember, the possibilities for HEFREF and HEFPEF. We've come a long way in terms of medical therapy and options that are evidence-based. Yeah. The 2022 guidelines had a huge amount of information in it. So thanks for summarizing your key takeaways. I think people will find that really, really valuable. As we close, anything else you'd like to add for this particular segment? I think the most important point is that medicine is never static, and that seems to be especially true with heart failures, but so much new data that's come out, and I think it's important to try to stay on top of all of the data because it really can benefit patients in terms of how they feel, in terms of how they do, in terms of heart endpoints like hospitalization for heart failure, and even cardiovascular death in some cases all cause mortality. The approaches do involve polypharmacy. One does need to be yep. mindful of side effects and, and cost and that sort of thing. But having said that, in HEFREF, we really are trying to embrace the four pillars of care, starting therapy as quickly as possible, again, assuming it's tolerated. And with HEFPEF, it's a new day with data really showing clear benefit of SGLT2 inhibitors and potential benefit of at least a couple other classes where SGLT2 inhibitors may not be enough. So lots of reasons to be optimistic these days in the care of our heart failure patients. Yeah, it's great advances, really is. So Dr. Bott, thank you so much for this informative discussion. For me, it's been an honor to learn from you today. So we'd also like to thank Merck for their support of this program. And for the listeners, please claim your CME credit by filling out the evaluation and the post-test. And don't miss our next and final episode of this series, where we will again be speaking with Dr. Aaron Mikos from Johns Hopkins. And be sure to follow Iridium on X, Facebook, and LinkedIn to see the corresponding MedEd threads. Thanks so much for being on 